Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 88, Interview with David C. Smalley, Part 2. So, and so my initial conversion was a conversion back to theism. So, and so the theism hold on. then collapsed into Christianity. So translation, you met a beautiful woman and she took you to church. <laughs> right? You did listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is truth that. Did you listen? No, I didn't. I just took okay, a guess. So that because actually is true. My, fig- my wife figured, Jenny yeah. was a huge part of yeah. my coming back. That's for what I sure. Thought. Okay. Because she allowed me to re-mystify the world. I'll say I honestly have not heard the podcast. I, I've just a few times when I've I've heard of late life uh conversions, it, it will typically revolve around someone someone falling in love and, and converting for their spouse. Um uh oh, who is that CNN anchor? Uh, I was talking to her on Twitter like three months ago. She's uh Essie Cup. Essie Cup was uh, an out atheist and openly openly talked about being an atheist and then married a Catholic and now she calls herself Catholic and they go to church. Mm-hmm. And and uh I've had a few people come on and say that they they converted later in life and ultimately it usually has something to do with uh with meeting someone uh meeting someone <laughs> and falling in love. So I was I was half joking, half taking a shot in the dark and you said so you did listen to my podcast which confirmed it for me. Okay. Yeah, no, but that that is true. My my wife has a had a huge part. My my life had gone off. That's not right. Not off the rails. I was having a lot of serious problems towards the end of 2019. My first wife um, died in uh, in a nursing home, and um, I'm sorry. Uh, I was no longer teaching philosophy because I had to take care of her. Oh, that's tough. Um, I still teach on, online, so I'm still actually teaching teaching now. Um, but my wife was not the reason I came back. She was certainly a motive for coming back. The reason had been building as I started to build the case there earlier. For years, after I graduated with my PhD in 2004, as I was teaching, Everywhere I turned, I found things undermining my faith in atheism. And I get in trouble with that with atheists all the time. Yeah. Because they say, oh, I don't have faith. I'm an atheist. Baloney. There is no way to live on this earth outside of faith. It, it, there is it comes- no way. It comes down to the usage of the word faith. Uh, that's all it is. Sure it uh, th- th- they'll say, well, I trust. Well, trust can sometimes be used interchangeably with faith. And so at some point, it's, it's a semantic argument. And well, they, they, they find semantics it. point to something real. Sh- sure. But the word faith can have multiple meanings, right? Uh, to be Does faithful, that... to, to, to be faithful to your spouse, or I believe it comes from the Latin, uh, was it le fide or, uh, to mean, bona- yeah, Fideo? to mean bona fide yeah. or, yeah. or, or legitimate. So there, you're just trusting yeah, good, in something real. Bonafide is good faith. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so that, that, you know, tracing back the etymology and then going, well, we kind of use it, you know, do you have faith that the that, that we'll see the sun tomorrow? I mean, sure, I trust that, you know, uh, just through, I guess, deductive reasoning that it's going to show up uh, is that faith. You know, I, to me, and, and, you know, as you know, that's that's 
you could get into a muddy sort of philosophical discussion about what can be considered faith and what isn't. I, it's we typically just don't use the phrase because it is so uh, entrenched in Christianity. I mean, you know, you go to a store and buy something with faith on it and hang it on your wall. When I mean, you could walk a hundred people in there and they would bet money that you're a Christian. I mean, so no one's going to hang up a sign saying, you know, faith, uh, faith in what? Oh, that the moon is going to be visible. No, everybody knows what it means. And so the, the cultural usage of faith is why you get pushback when you say atheists have it. But, but traditionally speaking, I understand what you mean. There is some level of trust in science for the most part that has repeated itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I am more, uh, I, I, I hold the position that every atheist is an agnostic atheist. Um, they are missing information, but based on the information they do have, they don't hold a belief that yeah. that is agnostic atheism. And, and for people to say, well, this is exactly how old the universe is. Well, now that's a statement of faith. Uh, you can say the expert's best guess is this number, 14.7 billion or whatever it is, and then say, that's what I'm going with because that's what the experts say. You know, then you could say, you know, someone could say, you know, that that you're you're entering into fallacy territory, but you're also trusting the expert, experts. When the experts say to get the vaccine, you get the vaccine because, you know, it's, it's, it's smart to follow leaders that know what they're doing. Um, but these are things that they can have scientific reasoning behind. They can say, we think it's 14.7 billion years old because, and then if you have three hours of time, you can read the detailed explanation. And if you have the college degrees in theoretical you know, physics to understand some of the terminology, then you can go, oh, it makes sense why they believe that 14.7 billion. That's why the scientific consensus says that. So they can back up a lot of their claims with scientific data. And they can also say, this is our best guess so far. If we're wrong, it could be this, it could be this, but this is what we would need to see in order to do that. That is yes. quite different, though, John, from having faith that a Jew died, came back to life, and literally floated into the sky. Now, now we're, that is we're, that is not, that is not the same faith as trusting a scientist or scientific organizations to come to a consensus on how old the universe is. The, these aren't the same ideas, even if the word faith gets, gets used for both. Right. So I have, let's see, a five, four part series on faith on the Christian atheist in which I develop some of these ideas. And I think it's worth, worth looking at. And I also have a series called The Evident Evidence and Faith, um, which is like a six-part series <laughs> on the Christian atheist. And these all followed on, on an analysis, an attempted analysis of atheism. Um, so as an atheist, I, I was taking pretty much all of the positions that you're stating now. Um, but when you look a little deeper into the issue of faith and science, you have to ask yourself questions like, why should I trust what reason is telling me? What basis do I have to believe that this evolved process, which is to serve a, what, a species purpose to keep us alive as a species, why should I trust that to reveal truth to me? That itself is an element of faith. 
So science itself is starting with faith in reason. Now, that faith is justified. I believe fully is justified. But why is it justified? And so I keep trying to push, I kept trying as an atheist to push it back and justify all of these things that I was holding on to. Science, as you just explained it. But why should I believe science? Why do scientists believe science? Why is it that we even search to understand these things? What value in there is there? So what I um, say is that the big issue facing Christians, theists, I tend to talk more in terms of theists because Christianity is a layer on top of theism. Um, but theism, uh, where, what was I saying? I missed myself. What, uh, the, the first question is to find out whether or not there is a God. And we have to look at reason itself. I mean, that's the only instrument we have to look. And when I look at my reason, I see all of these things that I do, all the things that science does based on some sort of ideal notion. Mathematics is foundationally based on things that are not part of this empirical world around us, right? The idea of number is not something inherent in, in um, the empirical world. It is something that is evident to mind. Okay. But where does mind get this? And where, how, do, how does mind, where does mind come from? Um, if, if it's just a matter of evolution, and if it is just that, and I, I actually believe in evolution, I have absolutely no problem with evolution. I think it's the right answer. But if it's just that, why should I trust that reason can reveal truth to us? And in fact, what is truth? Okay. It makes no sense to even talk about truth if everything is just a matter of what it is, right? Truth itself is a concept of mind. If everything is just matter and material, then all of these things that we hold so clear and love so much, it, it involves human love, it involves human reason, it involves the whole human package. Where do those things come from in a purely materialistic world? And I've got no good answer for that. Okay, so to answer that first, I would say uh, evolution of a compassionate brain is the quick answer to where those things come from. We, we see compassion throughout multiple mammalian species, uh, compassion and reason and logic and uh, mourning deaths um, and uh, uh, coming to the aid of another species. Uh, not, humans aren't the only ones to do this. Uh, we've seen bears. No, we've seen bears rescue drowning birds. We've seen yep. we've seen hippos save gazelles from crocodiles. Uh, we've seen dogs rescue other dogs or cats from from free from the freeway of, of passing cars. Uh, we've seen cats you know rescue children from aggressive dogs. Um, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. So so compassion, uh, love, understanding of morality is definitely a part of of the evolution of of mammals. Um, as far as your question of why should we trust science, um, I, I have a response to that, but I at the risk of 
do me a favor, try to keep this answer short because I don't want to lose what I'm going to say about <laughs> about it. Um, I'm going to ask you another question briefly. Um, why my do you, why do sorry. you trust? What's that? I just going to say my wife would tell you that's a lost cause, but I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, try because I, I I would rather have this be a conversation as opposed to a sermon. So let's let let's keep it short. But what? Uh, tell me why you trust evolution as the best answer? Because the evidence seems to point that direction. And and what process or methodology discovered that? Scientific method. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good reason why we should trust science. It does find truth. <laughs> but you're missing what I'm saying. I'm not saying that science doesn't find truth. I love science. I've always loved science. I believe that science finds truth. What I'm trying to justify is how can I... How can I rationally believe that if our, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, our, um, our reason is just a part of the, an epiphenomenon of the materialist universe? If that's all it is, then it's just another organ. And why should I trust that organ? Um, I think because it works and it, it works repeatedly. Right. When, when, when we agree. look at, when we look at it's, it's all we have to, it's all we have to go on. Our ability to understand <laughs> is all we have to go on. Otherwise there's 100%. no, otherwise there is no point in any conversation about anything because who cares? I, are you yep. hungry? What is hunger? What is food? What is bread? Who cares? What is being? I mean, never mind. You know what I mean? So it, it, it can lead to absurdity. So we have to stay grounded and accept that our reasoning, our brains is all we have to understand the world. So then we, when, when we then look at this and say, okay, what is providing the most uh, reliable information? Is it religious claims or is it scientific claims? Well, science has given us genome editing. Scientists, science has given us RNA sequencing and, and penicillin and, and the molecular structure of DNA. It's discovered electricity. We, we have painkillers and, and antibiotics and, and vaccines oh, and technology because of science. Religion yeah. has not produced a single thing that is productive like that for our society. Morality, morality didn't what it's produced science. Religion produced science. Mm -hmm. You're, you're expressing something called the conflict, um, the conflict thesis that, um, there's a conflict between, at least I think I, I think you are, I apologize. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, that there's a conflict between science and religion. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think, okay. and I'm, not anywhere alone on this. If you actually can even look it up on. Uh, um, no, I'm I'm familiar with what you're talking about, and I think okay. it's I think okay. it's I think it's easily debunked. To be honest with you, um, well, because when that that idea that that science and religion are not in conflict, they absolutely are. Because right. science, the the basic understanding of human biology and anatomy, tells you that when a person dies, they are dead. They do not. Um, reanimate they certainly do not reanimate after three days of death and they certainly do not reanimate and then float to a mystical location the, the very idea that there are hundreds of claims in the bible that are directly anti-scientific 
Well, no, because science deals with the empirical facts and you weren't there at the time. And so science deals with what's there. And that's all they can deal with. That's not true. Science science can also find out what was there. That's why we have fossil records. That's why but we that's, know that's why we know how it is what's there. It's what was there. The actual fossil isn't real bones. You know that. No, I know that. Okay. You, so it's what you, was you, there. You can reason about those things. Right. But those things are really there. They're present there. It's actual evidence. When you say something like science can prove that Jesus didn't rise. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. I didn't say that. Okay. Well, I didn't, you, I didn't, I didn't make that. a, no, no, no. I didn't make sorry, a positive. I'm sorry, I, I don't want to put words. I there. didn't make a positive claim. I'm very careful not to do that. What I'm saying is when science says that when a person dies, they stay dead and, and not a single scientific claim can prove that a person has been literally medically dead for any substantial amount of time and came back to life and then literally floated into the sky and went to a location that was otherwise mystical. Right. Science, science does not state that that is possible. So when right. religion states that that's what happened, that is a direct conflict with science. Okay. Yeah. And that is yeah. just one piece. That is just Jesus. Now we're talking about Lazarus because we, you can make the argument, well, that's what makes it so miraculous. Jesus came back because he defied science. Okay. Again, you're still in conflict, but again, uh, Fine, take that special. It's a special pleading fallacy, but we'll just say, fine, you get it. You get to win that. Jesus gets to do that because he's he's God in some schisms of Christianity. Now let's move into Lazarus coming back from the dead. Well, Lazarus Lazarus isn't God, so so Jesus has to then use the power. Every bit of that is in conflict with science. Science does not state that any of that is even remotely possible. There's a Bible verse about the sun freezing in the sky for hours on end. We know that cannot happen and not have a cataclysmic event on earth. It is physically impossible for that to happen. It is impossible. We, we, we don't have evidence of angels existing, yet the Bible makes repeated claims of angels existing. In fact, some being raped even, attempted to be raped. So we have a woman turning into a pillar of salt. Nothing about science says that's even remotely possible. So science is absolutely in conflict with religious claims. Now, if a religious claim happens to be that the city of Gaza is a very special place to Muslims or Christians, that, okay, fine, that, that's a claim that could that could coincide with science. Yes, it is very important to those people who believe. Not everything religion says is in is in conflict with science, but the core religious claims absolutely are. The very idea of a God creator is outside of what science deals with because it deals with empirical absolutely facts. Absolutely it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's outside of what science does. It's exactly right. Right, but it still makes claims that but, are anti-scientific. I... Okay, so now, if... God exists. Could he have done those things? Uh, see, so, so I, what, what I'm not, what I'm getting to here. The problem the with that is it doesn't even of what God we're talking about. Exactly, because and and that's why I can't see, easily answer that question because the, the the God of the Bible has contradictory principles and and attributes assigned to him, which would make it impossible for that God to exist in the first place. So I, I have trouble with even, even answering yes or no to that question, because I'm not sure which God you're talking about. Yeah. 
Well, the God that I'm talking about is the God that is pointed to by our very rational structures. The ideals that we deal with as a, me as a philosopher, right? I've dealt with these ideals that our reason goes to all the time. We have this notion of beauty. And then we think to ourselves, okay, this is beauty, beautiful. But what does beauty mean? Well, then it points beyond anything individually beautiful to the notion of beauty itself. That is inherent in our very rationality. Knowledge is also something that our reason points to. So it sounds like you're making an argument. Uh, it sounds like a very deist argument, like um, sort of a theodicy, like a um, in, in like a. It sounds like you're trying to make an argument for a possibility of a deistic yeah, a deistic God, not not any sort of argument of the Christian God existing. It seems like having an argument that there might be something powerful out there it is not really, I don't know. It's not something I ever really deal with because it doesn't really get us anywhere. The, I, what would, what would interest me is how you get from this philosophical concept of a potential deity to Jesus Christ and calling yourself Christian. How do you make the leap from a potential philosophical explanation of a powerful being to Jesus. Belief. <laughs> because no, no, no. How, how do you rationalize it, though? How, why, why yeah, Christianity? Exactly why right. not? Why I came not? There, I came there through a very rational course. I mean, as I studied these, as I studied philosophy, as I studied science, I kept coming back to the question: Why do? Why do we do these things? What is it about human reason? And human reason, the very, the very nature of human reason is to reach out to value. That is fundamental to human reason. It is a reaching out towards value. But where does value come from? And I didn't get to this earlier. I said the Christians, the theists have the problem of evil, and it's very real. I have never... I would never, I would never say I have the answer to it, the theodicy that you're talking about, which that's what a theodicy is, a, 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 an answer to the question of evil. I don't think we've ever answered that adequately. I don't think we ever will, because that would be divine knowledge if we ever got there. But what we have to recognize is that divine knowledge only belongs to the deity. And we are stuck here in a sublunar realm that we, we don't know much of anything, but we're searching for knowledge. We're reaching out to the ideal. Where did that come from? This idea of the ideal. What? Where does the idea <laughs> of the ideal come from? It is fundamental. Hold on. I asked, this is the problem with philosophy professors, <laughs> because I asked you, how, <laughs> I, I asked you, I asked you how you get from this conceptual deity that might exist to specifically Jesus Christ who died 2,000 years ago. You talked for a lot, but I don't recall a lot of what you said, and you end it with asking me where we get ideas of ideal from. That has okay. nothing to do with what I asked you. I'm asking how you make connections between a general concept that a deity might exist and a literal Jew who died and floated to heaven, and how do you call that logical? 
How do you rationally get from a conceptual, a, a conceptual possibility of a deity to a specific one that that came to us from a book filled with logical contradictions and language problems and 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 scientific errors? If God can exist, as we've been saying, if that's possible, then all of these things that you're talking about in terms of impossibilities that you say conflict with science don't conflict because God can make those things happen because he stands outside of nature. He created nature. It's like Shakespeare writing one of his plays. He can make whatever he wants to happen, happen. But you're not going to find Shakespeare when you read Shakespeare's plays unless you're willing to say, wait a second, I'm reading this play. There must have been someone who wrote it. So when you started to answer me, you said, if God exists, I would agree with you if you were to say, if a God exists, but you're using capital G, if God exists, assuming that we're talking about the Christian God of the Bible. Doesn't have to be. Well, but that's what you're talking about because yeah, I've you're into this trouble too when I talk with atheists. Well, because so you're I apologize a, if my language wasn't as exact. Well, I you're a Christian. Mean, I mean, I do mean God in the in the in the broader sense. That's okay. where I start. Okay, but I okay, but I asked you how you got to Jesus, how you get to the Christian version, because as soon as you look as an agnostic atheist, I can tell you, I do not think it's likely. I do not have a belief, and I do not think it's likely that any deity exists, period. But I do say I am always open to evidence of some other existence of a being that I don't understand. There is a very small sliver of me that is open to the idea that there is something else that I'm not yet aware of. And yeah, that's what that, drives me to have these conversations. Now, that is fantastic. I would even that's say I would even say it's more likely that we were planted here by some sort of greater species like an alien. That I, that I think is a higher percentage of a deity existing. In fact, we might not know the difference between said deity and a very superior species that would be alien to us, right? Uh, could we be an experiment? Could we be, uh, who knows? The, and we're talking 0.00000% likelihood. Like, this is not one of my beliefs. I'm just saying that I'm I'm open to these types of of ideas and and concepts existing out in the world. I'm not shutting everything down. I'm not saying there is nothing out there. I'm always open. Within That's that within that framework, you saying we can imagine a deity that exists, okay, possibly, maybe, potentially, maybe not even plausible, but somewhat possible, who knows. To go from that to calling it God capital G is now implying that this is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who says he is good, yet condones slavery. Do we, do we then say, oh, that part of that text is wrong? God would never condone slavery. Man used, man lied and said God said that. Or do we then justify and say, no, no, God really did condone slavery. No, I'm not going to be on board with that. I, I, I can't. I can't even acknowledge that when you say if God exists, there cannot be something that is both a God of peace and a God of war. There, I there, love, sorry, 
there cannot be something that is God is God is all good, but God God gave us our very morality, yet behaves as if morality doesn't exist or that humans aren't important. Um, that makes that God incomprehensible. It, it makes that God impossible to exist. So I think the Bible proves that the Christian God does not exist, and I think your idea of this uh, deistic possibility of a deity that I'm, I could be more on board with entertaining that discussion, but I need to know how you get from that conceptual God to a wrathful, jealous God in the Bible that is flooding the earth and making someone's bowels fall out of them and making meat come out of their noses for asking for food and all of these horrific things, including condoning slavery and, and beating slaves and all of this nonsense is that who you mean when you say if God exists? Because I can't even get past your premise if that's how it's starting. Yeah, I actually love um, what you're saying here. I think dwelling on the issue of morality is exactly the right place to go. Um, I have a long series of, of episodes also on morality in the Christian atheist. Um, because morality is one of those fundamental things. And I don't, know how, no, I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible. This is actually one of the things that Job does with God. He says, look, there's some things going on here, and, and I think I've got the right perspective. And he pursues this. And it's, it's his religious friends, the sort of evangelicals of his day, that come down on Job. And God at the end says, Job is the one who is doing the right thing here. You guys are moralistic and um and religious failures um and so i love that so can we no let's let's talk I, about let's talk about job for a second mm-hmm. do you know how the story with job began yeah exactly do you know it, it, job didn't mm-hmm. ask for it yeah and it wasn't even satan yeah. who asked for it, it it's even worse than that i have a, i have an episode on this too it's like god has this discussion with satan and and they are saying oh look at my look at my uh, servant job see how good he is uh, he says well that's because you you've blessed him so much let me take this stuff away from him and he says okay go ahead well it was god's idea god says look how amazing he is you can take anything from him and i bet you he won't budge in his faith god requests it the whole thing is God's idea. As, and it's all just to win a bet with Satan. It's all just to prove how much he loves him. It's very similar to the whole Abraham and Isaac story. Go prove that you love me so much that you'll kill your son. God creates the bet. It's God's idea. And this man's life is completely destroyed. So many people are killed, innocent people, by the way, all to prove a point. God sits by and watches it happen. It was his idea to start the bet. He allows this evil to overtake Job's life just to see if Job will have faith. And then you're telling me that God who who made all this happen, who started the idea, who started the bet, he is the arbiter of morality? He is the one, he is the one who then gets to say, who acted morally and who didn't? God is the most immoral being in that entire story. Yeah, but Job at the end says, "Though he trust me, I mean, though though he slay me, yet will I trust him." So it is a story of faith. Yes, Job himself, having gone through all of it, 
at the end says, you yeah. know what that, you know what that's called, John? Oh, that's called, that's called Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> that's not lovely. That's not beautiful. That's not faith. That's Stockholm syndrome. Oh, it is faith. I say the same thing now. I'm, I'm ready to die. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm on that hill. Um, Tell me the difference in that in Stockholm syndrome. When, when Stockholm a, syndrome is, is when you're, you, you, you're, 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 uh, um, your kidnappers, yep. uh, you, you become, uh, um, you become, um, what enamored of your kidnappers. Yeah. Almost um, worship. That's even. not at all what, um, faith in God is like. It's a fundamental trust that no matter what happens, he has your best interests at heart. How was, kill, is how was that? How yeah. did, how was any of that in, in Job's best interest? Well, you're like, you're looking at the, the basic realities of the world. Yeah, silly me. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. If you would have asked Job after all of that, have you ever gone through really bad experiences and come out the other side and say, I'm better because of it? Yes, but I could have been better without those experiences. Could you? Yes. Yeah, I don't know that I could. Well, let me tell you I, this. I look back on all of my life and the things that have happened. I look on my, my wife's life. She had seven kids, lost her husband to cancer. Um, and it comes out the other side and what made it both bearable and worthwhile is the faith that ultimately things are working for your best interest. Let, let me put it, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Follow me along here because this is a very interesting thought experiment. Let's say out of zero to 100, let's say she was a 65 before and let's say what she went through, she is now a 95. Because of faith and because of God, right? What do the numbers represent? Just, uh, she comes out better. That's the idea. Okay. I'm just okay. saying out of 100, she was a 65. Now she's a 95, just for purposes okay. of this discussion. Okay. So she gained 30 points in, 30 human points, right? She's, she's 30 better than she was because of the tragedy she experienced. Now, if we're saying that, that those negative things has, those negative things have to happen, in order for God to improve her, what we're saying is God is not all-powerful because he requires a tool. He requires a wrench. I can't change the oil in my car sitting in my apartment. I have to physically go out there and touch the thing, right? I have to grab a certain tool to get that filter off. I need the tool in order to get the filter off. If I don't have the tool, I either have to take my oil to be changed or I have to go buy the tool because I'm not all powerful. I, th th there's a prerequisite that I have the tool to remove the filter. So if God requires tragedy to make you better, he is not all powerful. He has a prerequisite of suffering in order for you to improve. So if God is all powerful, he could have moved your wife from the 65 to the 95 without tragedy. Okay. <laughs> I don't find that to be a problem. Um, I, I, this, this all comes down to claiming things about God that we cannot know and claiming things about the universe that we don't know. We are far more ignorant than we think that we are. We think that we understand the nature of morality, and I think we have inklings of all of the things that are out there. I think we have a, a handle, a basic handle on the world because the, God created a good world. 
And we're trying to do our best in that world. But it's also a flawed world. Why God didn't create a perfect world and keep us all from having the problems that we have, that I don't know. That is the huge problem of theism. Let's get into and that. It's never been solved. Let, let's mean, get into that. Well, hold on, John. Me today. Sorry. John, let's Go get ahead. into that right now. Uh, you said a couple of things there about God creating a good world. I want to deal with that. Don't tell me, don't answer me now, but I also want to know your thoughts on the afterlife. Is there a hell? Is there a heaven? What happens in there? And that's what we're going to talk about in the remainder of the show that's going to be available at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley. That's where we're going. That's where the conversation's continuing. If you're not coming with us, please at least drive like you know each other. (laughs) I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.